Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have uh, Jessica Rostep from uh, Big Race. Thanks for being on here today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. So Big Race, um, Alaska owned, Alaska started, um, business that opened in 1947 and is not named after a guy named Ray. It's like some gold seeker from Croatia or what was that story? I was, I was listening to the Alaska you Wild got... Project and I got, yes. I got bits. Yes, yes. That's um, there's pieces of that that it, that are correct. <laughs> so we are very close. Um, no, the story of of Big Ray goes back to like you said. We started in 1947. Uh, our original store is uh, the store on Fourth Avenue. It was named Army Navy back then, uh, and the owners wanted to open up another location in Fairbanks, and they needed someone to run the store. And there was a guy who. From the stories I've heard, I don't even think he worked at Army Navy. I think they knew him through like the bar or something. And he just said, hey, I used to uh, go to school up uh, in Fairbanks. It was the school of mines back then. And he said, hey, I, I play basketball up there. I'd love to to go up and run the store. And his name was Milan Reykjavik. And he was this like six foot seven Yugoslavian guy. Mm. And he... Uh, he went up, ran the store for quite a while, uh, and then he was one of the original uh, investors down uh, uh, kind of by Kenai, where they discovered all that oil, mm, and he had yeah. some land down there, and he got a big old check one day, and just up and left, <laughs> and no one ever heard from him again, and he has all these stores named after him, and he wasn't even an owner, he was just the guy who ran the store up in Fairbanks. That's so. awesome. That's a great story. That's the story of Big Ray. Yeah. yeah. It's such a wild history. I teach adventure survival lit. And so we go into some Alaska history because we talk about uh, Chris McCandless. And there's just, there's so yeah. much, you know, with the, with the gold rush history and, you know, Southeast Alaska, we have our own history too, but just the entire state of people just moving around, following sure. the gold, following the oil, following the pipeline, whatever it is, the amount of stories that exist that are like never told, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to not have a story is like the the unique thing you could probably teach me a little bit about that but and what's funny is uh because of course my dad's one of the owners and his two business partners their fathers were the founders and i get like tidbits every you know here and there like i feel like the story has just also changed so much over the years um but it was just straight up the wild west mm -hmm. back then i mean we opened you know, 12 years before Alaska was even a state. So it was just wild mm -hmm. up here. Yeah. That's reading that old stuff is just, it's in, in, yeah. incredible. Uh, talking about, uh, Frank, uh, Glazer walking from, you know, Valdez up to, it, it, just, it was, I think it was Fairbanks or something like that. But the, you know, you think about the, you don't have any distractions and you don't really have anything else to do. The pace of life was so slow and you know, if you think about the Oregon Trail and whatnot and just that entire time, like you're bored, but you wouldn't really be bored because bored didn't exist back then like it exists now. So, all right, I'm just going to take a couple months and I'm going to walk in the interior. Just or, walk? Yeah, just, yeah, that's fine. Uh, no big deal. There's a couple of road houses here and there. We should probably get a little bit back to that more so than we are right now. Yeah. Do, do you ever get out? I know it's going to be difficult. You got there's There's three locations or four? Well, we have five locations, five locations. Um, two in Fairbanks, two mm -hmm. in Anchorage, and one in Kodiak. And it's definitely our, our really busy time of year. But um, I was actually in Salt Lake uh, 
last weekend. And we, uh, I also do some of our buying. So the big buying season for fall of 2024, we start that the next couple of weeks. So uh, travel a lot down to lower 48 for that. But so, you, so it's hard to believe that we're already buying for next mm -hmm. fall and we haven't even had winter yet. <laughs> so you wouldn't be able to take a month off and just say, Hey, I'm going to go build a cabin in the woods somewhere. And I'm just going to take no, a year I off. Keep, I keep saying one of these years, like in January, I'm going to go to Mexico for a month mm. uh, and just chill out a bit. Usually, um, of course, our busiest time is really from August 1st to December 31st. We do about 60% of our business in those four months. Uh, but January and February are pretty slow times here. <laughs> but the only problem with that is our, our fiscal year starts February 1st. So January is just 12-hour days of budgets mm -hmm. and uh, finishing up the books for the year and preparing for next year so. But one of these years, you'll find me in Mexico. <laughs> well, what's uh, what's the best part of it? Because sometimes there can be, you get ground down by the job and it ends up being monotonous yeah. and it takes a lot of time. There's a lot of hours and there's a lot of stress, sure. but other times people just, they love it because that's what they, they just love. They love doing it. And so they love showing up to yeah. work. They love the new challenges. They love problem solving. They love, love all of it. So what's the, what's the best part of, of that? So it's a great question, Jeff. And I think if you're a business owner, one, you have to be a little bit out there because us business owners are a different breed for sure, but you have to love what you do. And I love what I do. And I am not kidding when I say I wake up every day and I cannot wait to go to work because as a, as a business owner, um, every day is so different. Of course, I have a list of things I anticipate to get done. But today, for example, I started my morning with a call with a big oil company that we have some large contracts with. I worked with our buying team to talk about strategy for next year. I had, we implemented a new computer system uh, in June. So I was working with our outsourced technical team to talk about that. And then just got out of a call with our marketing department and then I always like to just take some laps and walk around the store and work with customers and merchandise the floor a little bit. So everything, every day is so different. But when you're a business owner, you have the ability to to make the changes that really, you know, propel or uh, inhibit the success of your business, both mm -hmm. good and bad. Uh, but I just love that every day is a different pro you know problem to solve and. Uh, no day is ever the same, which mm -hmm. for me is great. And I love working. We have an incredible team. So I love working with the team that we have. And then nothing gives me more joy than working with the customers on the sales floor. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun too. One of the things that uh, down here in Southeast, <clears throat> Ketchikan got a Walmart in... You have Tongas down there. We have Tongas. Tongas, which is great. Yeah. So we have uh, yeah. we have some of the local vibe, but between the internet and between some of the big box stores that can really kind of push out the locals a little bit. So I would imagine that's probably the worst part. If the best part is the interactions with the locals, is it, is it kind of an ever present stress of trying to compete with Amazon and everything else? And so how do you, how do you do that? How do you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, with, with business, uh, if you don't have the ability to change and adapt, you will become obsolete. 
And I think that's what I like so much is you have to be able to adapt your business constantly because it's a very fast changing market. And um, of course, I mean, e-commerce, you can buy truly whatever you want at the touch of your fingertips. And so for me, when people choose to spend their money at our stores, I feel a great sense of pride that they spent their time and their money with us rather than, you know, just going on to Amazon or Carhartt.com. But uh, we're constantly shifting our business. I think that especially with COVID, sure, it opened up e-commerce and more people were buying online than ever before. But there was also really this revival back to brick and mortar and local businesses and the importance of keeping money in the economy. Um, I've really been fortunate over the years to establish great relationships with a lot of, I guess what people would think are our competitors in town, but other local stores that I would much rather send my business over to them if we don't have something than for someone to go shop online or shop, you know, shop at a big box store. We're all here to support our community. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think that there has been a bit of a revival and a shift for people to recognize that keeping their money in their community and uh, keeping stores like ours as as part of their local economy is, is really important. Yeah. Um, so I hope it continues to be that way, but it's certainly... Every day we're we're adapting our business to change, you know, all the competitors that are out there. Mm-hmm. What about the the you can't I mean loyalty is a huge part of it, which is great, but it seems like the price points are a lot more comparable than they used to be. Things would they were so much more expensive here compared to down south. I remember either ordering from catalogs or when my family was going down to Colorado during the summer, that's when we do a lot of our shopping, but now things are a lot more comparable. Um, what has kind of helped that? Is there, is it, is it the shipping? Is it what's, what's making things better? Well, are you familiar with most, um, I don't know if I have any tags, most, um, product that you'll see in the store, especially if you go to an outdoor retailer, you'll see a price on that product. And a lot of times it's SRP, which is the suggested retail price. And that is dictated by the manufacturer. So Carhartt, for example, has a price list that every retailer has to maintain. And so if you are going to sell Carhartt, you need to sell it at that price. You cannot sell it below that price. In theory, you're not supposed to sell it below that price in store. They can't quite go to every store and make sure people are doing Mm -hmm. that correctly. But why all these retailers have done that is to even up the online game. So everyone is working with this standardized pricing structure so that you don't have someone online who's selling it way cheaper than everyone else. Um, And so that's really been a game changer Mm -hmm. for outdoor retail in the last five years. It used to be the wild west of pricing. You could price it however you wanted. Mm -hmm. And now it's just a standardized pricing, the suggested retail price. And the manufacturers are making sure that those retailers adhere to it and they don't have any bad apples who are uh, pricing it below what that suggested retail price is. Of course, there's going to be some. And sometimes if you're running a sale or it's like a closeout item, you'll see it on sale. But for the most part, the manufacturers have really gotten after retailers about breaking what they call map policy. Um, don't ask me what maps stand for, but <laughs> basically it's the manufacturer's something price and you can't go below that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just trying to keep everyone on a relatively even playing field. 
So you moved a lot. But for us, sorry to cut you off, but for us up in Alaska, everyone's kind of working off of the same margin, Mm -hmm. but our freight costs are about five to 8% higher than those down in Utah and Wyoming. And so our margin is a lot less than theirs are because we're paying for all that, that extra freight. Mm -hmm. And so how do you deal with that? From billion-dollar ad budgets and arena naming rights to tens of thousands of retail locations, big wireless providers spend big to appear like they're your only option. How do they afford it all? (laughs) That big bill you get at the end of every month. Mint Mobile had a different idea. Instead of brick-and-mortar overhead, Mint Mobile is online only. What does that mean for you? A whole lot of savings because wireless plans from Mint Mobile start at just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. You'll save enough that you can get a brand new rod and reel for the upcoming season. For anyone who just hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and you can even keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. By going online only and eliminating traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Yeah, so we... Um, we stay pretty true to margins. Um, We don't do a lot of huge sales. We don't mark things down very often unless we're um, not carrying it in the line anymore. So we really try to maintain and stay right at our uh, MSRP pricing that the the retailers or the manufacturers suggest. Uh, And we just really hold our expenses. We have very tight operating budgets because that's what we can really control our operating budgets. And uh, that's where we make up some of this lost margin that we have. But it's a constant, constant game. <laughs> as far as moving product, you don't seem to have a problem with that. I think on the Alaska Wild Project, you you said that at one point you were the were you the, the largest seller of Carhartt or what, what was that stat yeah. there? Good job. You did your homework, Jeff. Nice work. I'm this. kind of a good listener. It would be um, ironic if as a teacher I was a horrible listener. So I try true. to be at least you a B average. Though. That's good. You're doing great. <laughs> But yeah, in 2001, uh, Big Ray's Army-Navy sold the most Carhartts per capita in the entire world. And so it was a pretty big deal. Um, Mark Vallade, the owner of Carhartt, his family owns Carhartt, he came up here and had a big event. We have um, at our Midtown store in Anchorage, where I am, if you ever come in, we have a custom Carhartt tuxedo that was made for the event. Um, our sales rep at the time had it custom made. It has um, truly just a double-breasted, beautiful tuxedo all out of Carhartt. And mm. so it was a big deal back then. That's yeah. awesome. And we still, they tell us, they don't do that award anymore, but they do tell us that we are still, we're one of the top Carhartt um, suppliers on the Western half of the mm. United States, so. What are some other brands that are pretty popular? 
Yeah. So, um, extra tufts. We sell quite a few Naturally. extra tufts. Um, so extra tufts are are huge for us. Um, Baffins. I don't know if you know Baffin. It's not as popular down southeast where you are. I think are. I have some boots. Um, I think my boots oh, are Baffin. Do they do snow boots? Yep, they're okay. snow boots. They're based out of Canada. Um, we do a great deal of business with them, especially um, Fairbanks, Anchorage. We uh, all the people going up to the North Slope because the boots go down to negative 175 or something crazy. So, you know, Baffin's a big deal for us as well. And um, I mean, there's just, there's a, a ton of different brands, our private label, uh, our brands that we design ourselves and we make specifically for a big raise. Uh, after Carhartt, that's our second biggest hmm. brand. So it's a big deal for our stores. What uh, what do you provide? What is the the private brand, and what void were you trying to uh, to fill with that? Yeah, well, it started with uh, our kids' outerwear line, which was called Activate, and my dad started it. It's actually the twenty fifth year of Activate, and he started that because um, I'm from Fairbanks, and uh, growing up, my brother and I had required recess to twenty below, which just <laughs> Where else in the United States is that a thing? It's not. And so what he was finding is all these kids or these parents were like doubling up their kids. You'd wear two sets of bibs, two jackets, because nothing was made for that type of weather. Or if it was, it was $300 for a kid's jacket right. that you're going to outgrow halfway through the season. And so he went and um, worked with... Uh, we're part of this big national buying group called Worldwide, which is a whole bunch of independent retailers who work together to have like the buying power of a Cabela's. Tongas is part of the, the buying group oh, cool. that we're part of. And so my dad used his resources there and found some manufacturers overseas and started designing the super heavy uh, winter wear just for kids because no one else was doing that on the market at all. And uh, it really, really took off. And from there, we expanded into our adult line called Cavic. And uh, same thing, we make the warmest uh, winter gear uh, that we sell um, at when you're cutting out the manufacturer, you have a much more reasonable right. price. Um, and then it's just continued to expand. This year, we also started our line of waiters called, uh, the brand is called Aralic. We have our own big raise rods, rod and reels. Uh, and so we're just slowly taking over more, more um, departments and just market share in our, in our stores. And it allows us by doing that, we really have the ability to, you know, control supply chain and then control pricing. Like you were talking about when you are at the mercy of the MSRP pricing that the vendors dictate and it affects your margin when you have your own private label and you're you're able to purchase the goods at a much more reasonable price, you can pass along those cost savings to your customer and still maintain a, a decent margin, which mm -hmm. is nice. So what about online? You have to have an online presence. So the website, all the stuff, you can get everything uh, on there and order? Yes. Yes. We, uh, I was saying earlier, we implemented a new computer system uh, back in June. And so we have a brand new website too. There's still a few kinks, just like every website <laughs> course, as you're yeah. launching it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you can order um, 
almost everything that we carry on the website. And what we found is we do a good amount of business on the website, but a lot of people use that as a tool to go, oh, they have it. I'm going to stop by the store, but they check it beforehand. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Nice. One of my favorite questions to ask is if you were to think back to the junior or senior in high school version of yourself, would that person be surprised that you are doing what you're doing right now? Is there anything that would indicate that you'd be in this present position or would your high school English teacher think, yes, totally what I think Jessica would be doing? Very, that's a very great question. I was pretty um, studious growing up and also, I mean, I kind of like to boss people around, <laughs> but I'd like to say I do so now in a much uh, more managerial way. But um, I always really liked to take charge of a situation and uh, kind of problem solve. But I don't think if you ask my dad, is my you know junior and high school daughter going to take over this company? He'd probably go, God, I hope not. Because <laughs> uh, I've definitely changed a lot over the years. But um, I think that my, my personality has always been that I really like to... Um, to lead a team and to build something. Uh, I just, my junior year of high school, I had far different priorities oh, yeah. in life that... <laughs> than working for sure. Did did my parents, cause my mother owned an antique store with my grandma and my aunt. Um, so I would work kind of at the, uh, at Big Ray's and I'd work at the antique store as well, but they probably wouldn't say I had the best work ethic back then. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're in high school. It's just a it's a chaotic time, and you can start to get things figured out by the time you're junior, senior. But still, you go through that next four year segment of your life, and you look back and think, "Man, I didn't know anything. I thought I did, yeah. but I didn't." Well, what what grade do you teach? Uh, I teach two periods of freshman English, and then I have okay. uh, a couple junior senior classes. One is journalism, one is adventure survival lit, and then one is sports lit. So. Uh, I got some okay. really exceptional Sports kids life. in my journalism class right now. They're writing profiles, and yeah. some of them have written about uh, family businesses. And so one had uh, – oh, cool. their family had a chocolate um, business, a candy business that started in the 30s maybe, 40s, something like that. Wow. So super interesting. And so it was an opportunity for her to kind of research the family business and what happened and Very cool. and all that. So that's that's pretty sweet. And it's cool also to hear and see – and you, you talked about it with regards to your kind of independence – Alaska is so great in that that opportunity is available for so many people. You don't seem to have that same sort of locked into an urban setting where you don't learn how to be independent or adventurous or, you know, those sort of skills or those sort of attributes aren't, you know, necessarily available because things have been so, I don't know, sterilized, I guess. I don't know what the term yeah. is, but uh, yeah, it's great that uh, so many of those kids that grow up here can can feel that feist, I guess. I mean, some of my students are like kayak guides during the summer. Like what high school kid is oh, cool. the down South uh, stereotype is flipping burgers during the summer, you know, or bagging groceries. But if you're kayak guiding or you're, you're organizing tourists to go on their charters or find the right, I mean, that's a great organizational job to have growing up. What were your summer jobs growing up? Well, you know, working at the store was, the majority of my summer jobs, I was stocking the sales floor quite a bit. Um, but one summer before college, I worked for Eldorado Goldmine. Um, 
it's I think Gold Ridge eight right now in Fairbanks, but it was part of the riverboat discovery. It was a big um, kind of tourist attraction and uh, I loved it. It was my first time working for someone other than my parents. And uh, you're dealing with hundreds of tourists every day. And I think that's where my customer service mm -hmm. uh, skills really honed themselves. Uh, I sold gold at the jewelry counter and I loved it. I just, I adored it. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and it was long hours. You would work from like 7am to 6.30 or 7pm and just work all the way through the summer, but made good money and then went off to school. Yeah. Some of the fish cutters yeah. that, uh, that are down here that have to, they cut the fish, they vacuum pack the fish, but then they have to come back at once it freezes at three in the morning or something like that to box the fish. Oh. So the tourists who are leaving, uh, at, on the six thirty flight time. or something like that, you know, and it's just, what a skill to have. It's, you have to make it work. You can't sleep in. Yep. So anytime a kid first hour shows up late or is sleeping in class, it said, uh, now did, did you not make it uh, to the lodge to, to box the fish in the morning or, Oh, you made that work, but not school. I see how it <laughs> but is. Not school. I see how it is. Yeah. But the That's smart, a very good point. The smart kids will say something about, well, you're not paying 25 bucks an hour. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> $25 an hour? The, Holy moly. Depending on where good they're at. Them. The, uh, the, um, um, the sign flippers, that uh, the, the crossing guards, oh, yeah. they make 20 bucks no. an hour, which is – and, and they have to yell, obviously, and that's that's not a great thing when you have twelve thousand tourists in downtown Ketchikan. That that's, can be a pretty stressful thing. But um, for some of them, it's yeah. great. They're kind of shy, but they have to be authoritative. They have to get out there, yep. stop the traffic, traffic, and then good skill guide people around. So that's a uh, pretty cool. Good for them. So it sounds like the high schoolers in Ketchikan are doing very well for themselves. That's great. Yeah, it's and it's the best of anything. You know, you, there's a lot of opportunity, yeah. and also, unfortunately, there's a lot of you know, there's some downside to a lot of it. And there are kids sure. that I don't want to say fall through the cracks, but you know, based on home situation or based on other circumstances, you know, it's not exactly, they're not in the position to maybe take the advantage of the opportunities here. And then again, Ketchikan is a small town on an Island. So job opportunities post-graduation are, are kind of limited. So if you can't get out, sometimes people can get stuck. Oh. A lot of kids do. Well, especially because you're your economy just changes so mm -hmm. much over the course of the summer versus the winter. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. So where'd you go to school and what'd you go to school for? I went to the university of Oregon and, uh, I kind of changed around what my major was going to be, but, um, I graduated with a degree in international studies with a focus on international business. Um, and yeah, it was great. It was a great education. And, um, I, kind of didn't know what I wanted to do until junior, senior year, and then started thinking about it. And um, after I graduated, I went and worked at um, Gerber Knives in mm -hmm. Portland, which was an awesome opportunity and really got to learn manufacturing and that side of the business, and then be able to apply it when I came back here and started working, uh, working for the family business. How long are you there? At Gerber? I was at Gerber for two and a half years. But uh, so I started just as a lowly um, account rep, just uh, working in customer service and uh, basically just in in-house accounts for Southeast uh, United States. So I dealt with like Academy Sportswear and um, some big local retailers down there. And then after about six months, uh, they moved me over to new product development and I got to be a project coordinator for 
all the new knife projects, which was really cool. So we'd work the projects from the conception, literally just drawings, and then go over to China and see them mm. when they were coming off the, you know, off the belt and uh, get to see it from conception to implementation. So awesome. it was really rewarding. Yeah. So was it the, like the call of Alaska that brought you home? Were you invited home or, or what happened there? You did your time in the lower 48? I, I, I think I demanded that I was coming <laughs> back to Alaska. I think you know, you were talking about this earlier, but we have such a unique upbringing in Alaska and a very independent upbringing. And I would say, I mean, for me, Alaska is like part of my personality. Mm. It's like part of who I am. It's like my identity. And I just, I love Alaska so much and everything it has to offer. And so I took the job at Gerber knowing, knowing that I wanted to apply that, um, to come back and work for the family business. So I kind of had a two, two to three year plan. Um, and when a job finally opened up at Big Rays, because my dad was not about to make one just for me, mm -hmm. uh, I knew that I wanted to move to Anchorage rather than Fairbanks just to have, you know, a slight sense of autonomy yeah. um, and have a little bit of my own identity here. Yeah. Uh, I taught yeah. in California for a couple of years after college. Mm -hmm. And there was some Where? local business uh, in Manteca, just south of Sacramento, about 45 minutes. Okay. And uh, Lodi was pretty close, and they had grapes that would use for, for wine, and so there were some wineries. And so some of the kids at the school were related to some of those you know families that were pretty well off. And many of them would not allow the kids to even like build crates. It was, you are not part of the family business. You will not benefit sure. from this whatsoever. You have to go away. You have to go to school. And... If there is a position and you qualify for it, you get a degree in business, you do whatever you need to do because we're not going to let you just leech off this and then run the family yeah. business into the ground, which I think is a really, really good trait. You see that in Ketchikan too, where some of the people are like, hey, we've, we've built this, where the first generation built it, second generation made it better. We're not going to have the third generation ruin it. So it's, it's cool to have that opportunity and also that kids still have that grit, like it's just starting out and it's not kind of a well, it's going to be made for me and daddy and papa made all this money for me. So I just get to hang out. And you see a couple of the companies that perhaps that is the case and you see how, how tough those are to run. Um, but absolutely. I mean, it was, it was never, this is something that you're going to be given. It was, you got to work your butt off and work your way up. And um, it's uh my business partner, Jesse, was on the podcast with me uh, for a Alaska Wild Project. And uh, when we had the opportunity to become owners, it was not given to us. This is a buyout. This is just like anyone else. We're buying the business. And uh, my dad and Mike and Mark, um, it's their retirement. So it they took a lot of stock in the fact that we are... I mean, we really had to prove ourselves over the last 10 years that they will put their faith and their retirement into us keeping this business profitable and running and successful. Uh, and they weren't going to just do that to, to anyone. So we definitely had to, to pay our dues and and work our way up. And, you know, my father reminds me on a constant basis that this is he and my mother's retirement. So no pressure, but keep it, keep it profitable. Yeah. Well, was there ever a point where you thought, like you might want to not do that or go somewhere else or just say, you know, to heck with it, have fun or, or, or that, or was it just a kind of destined at some point to come back? It was March of 2020 oh, when geez. COVID hit. And I yeah. thought, what in the world am I doing with my life? 
Um, but no, I've never, even when I came back and just started um, as an assistant buyer, I was like, this is, this is my calling. This is what I, I am here to do. I love this so much. I could not imagine working for anyone else or just in a different industry. This is, this is what I love. So I think everybody took stock. We we keep this going. That, that next, that last, that, that year of when you came out of the lockdowns and everything was, I think everybody thought, okay, is this really what I want to do? And uh, teachers were dropping all over the place, just not dropping, but like leaving the profession. It wasn't worth it. And I, I, I didn't think about leaving, but I thought about whether or not I wanted to keep doing this because there's just a lot of stuff and the rhetoric and narrative surrounding teaching and everything. It was just a, an absolute mess. Um, It was so politicized too. Oh, it was, it was, it was crazy. And I had never, I I had taught science fiction lit too. And so I love to go down rabbit holes about conspiracy theories and this and that. And I, I literally had a, a tinfoil hat. But then once all that stuff started, I was like, I don't think we can go there. Because if it's said wrong or heard wrong or understood wrong, then all of a sudden oh. a parent is going home and hearing this. And so, I, man, it felt horrible to to have to, I don't know if I self-censor is the right word, but just be more, much more aware and cautious, um, which is, you know, it kind of makes the educational experience a little bit different. Like, why can't we talk about this stuff? Like, we should have some ideas and we should be able to discuss ideas and just, but, uh, yeah, so I, I took stock, but then I thought, man, catch can such a great place to be during it because you don't have, you know, we're not, um, somewhere down South. We're not some big urban area. Mm-hmm. So it was totally a, a great opp- opportunity. I Completely remote. Yeah. So nice. So, um, that yeah. kind of re reassured that, uh, this is what I want to do with my life, which is cool. And I know a lot of people, left other people wish they had the courage to leave you know down south or wherever it was so yeah COVID was definitely a reinforce that this is what I want to do how long did you have to teach remote we were just um it happened at spring break so we came back actually we never came back from spring break so that fourth quarter was remote and then the next year we started we had masks and then we had limited contacts and we had uh, stuff like that so we were masked up for that next year and then yeah half, but you I were think. in person yeah we were in person though yeah so that was yeah that was huge and that was a big debate too because it was like what you have to do mm-hmm. in your situation's different you know and it was yeah. man it, it seems like a long time ago and also sometimes seems like did that even happen like that was a dream did that just that really i couldn't believe that it was i was doing so we were doing some budgets we was looking at numbers and i was like god it was three years ago in March that 2020, the initial pandemic happened. So I don't know if I blocked it out or oh. just can't even remember what I did. Cause we never closed. We, we stayed mm. open the whole time, but we definitely during that time, I mean, it was adapting every single day. You're trying to operate a business. You have your staff that you have to keep um, safe. You have customers that you have to keep safe. Uh, and so having a, a customer-facing business was certainly a a challenge during that time. Yeah, it's it was pretty amazing, too. Some of the kids came out of it with just this better idea about education. Like, you don't really find out how much you value education until you're in college because you have teachers who are telling you what to do stuff, uh, parents, friends, all that. You have to be eligible for sports. Then you go to college, and all of a sudden, there's no one there. The RA doesn't care. You know, the, the professors may or may not be taking attendance and they don't really mm-hmm. care if you fail or not. So 
some of these kids mm-hmm. who were freshmen and sophomores are like, all right, well, this is a really clunky system. This is horrible. And I have a lot of free time. And a lot of kids started like listening to podcasts about like psychology yeah. and, you know, not just like trashy true crime or this or that stuff, but like really started like wellness. And uh, so some of the kids just are, it, it's, it's crazy. It's, it, and it was an, an great. opportunity for them to get, uh, to just level up on a way that they wouldn't had to, if they went with their normal process, but a lot of other kids weren't able to, to do that, but it was, it's pretty, pretty, I don't know, something crazy, but. It was yeah. definitely a time to determine who self-starters were, who yeah, people who took the initiative to really, really um, better themselves or really just face it head on and others who perhaps didn't go down that route. Yeah. Uh, so outside of that, getting off that topic, <laughs> um, <laughs> how much has, uh, has Anchorage changed or even Fairbanks? I'm sure you go home at least a little bit. So what's been some of the, yeah. the, the big changes you've noticed since you were in high school or growing up? Oh man. Well, uh, yeah, so I was born and raised in Fairbanks and, uh, Fairbanks has, has certainly changed. Uh, but it's not like there's been a huge population growth, um, in, in Fairbanks. It's, it's actually relatively stagnant as far as population goes. In fact, it might be declining, but, um, it's been interesting Fairbanks still doesn't have like a Target. Mm-hmm. They just got a Costco a few years ago. So it's, uh, I mean, listen, I live in Anchorage now. I love Anchorage, but everyone from Fairbanks calls it Los Anchorage oh, because yeah. <laughs> it's not real Alaska, which I can kind of appreciate to a, to a degree. But um, so so Fairbanks has certainly started to get more, more box stores and become more like a metropolis. But it really is amazing. It hasn't, I don't feel like it's changed that significantly. I think that there's really this new revival. We, uh, we had a local artist, uh, Vladimir, I can never say his last name. He's from Russia. He's lovely. Um, but we worked with him to commission, uh, our store in downtown Fairbanks takes up almost a full block. We had this blank, ugly wall. And so we had him commission this beautiful mural of Fairbanks and the Northern Lights and the Midnight Sun. And um, there's kind of just been this revival in downtown Fairbanks that's been really fun to watch with local businesses popping up and murals all over the place and um, people really investing in the community, which I really like to see. And then Anchorage, I've been in Anchorage for 12 years now, and uh, God, it just seems to continue to grow, get bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I was uh, coaching basketball, um, we went up to Fairbanks for the tournament at, uh, I think it was at Lathrop High School. I remember it was 30 mm-hmm. below, just horrible, but uh, there was a big raise that was pretty close to the hotel we we're staying at. So the kids are sure. at the hotel, they're doing their, they're studying or they're in the room or whatever. So I, I got, I got a half hour. I'm not responsible for looking after kids because the other two coaches are watching there. So I walked a big raise and just kind of looking around. It was such a nice break from chaperoning and coaching. So I think I bought some flies or something and it was just nice to be in a big store. Decompress a little bit. Exactly. Not worry about strategy or grades or which kid is might be almost ineligible or something like that. So I think I still have the little, um, big raise fly, uh, fly holder from, uh, from that trip. But, uh, yeah, yeah that was, that was pretty cool. Well, you don't always get to appreciate see. Appreciate you stopping in the store. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being there because that was much needed mental break. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You're probably not the only coach too who stays 
stays downtown and just needs to, to get away for a little bit. Just walk around. Yeah. That store is so big. It has so many different levels and you can kind of get lost. Yeah. And it's cool to be able to nice. go to the different parts of the state too, because, you know, we have Tongas here um, and then some other mm -hmm. local shops, but you know, just the culture is different on Prince of Wales versus here versus Sitka versus Juneau, Anchorage, Fairbanks. And I have some friends in Fairbanks. We've, we've hunted out of Fairbanks a couple of times. So it's cool to oh, get there and it just, yeah. it's definitely Alaska, but it's just such a different part of Alaska. And it's really cool to visit I that. Know. And so there's that camaraderie you have uh, with yeah. people and that same tenacity, like we've talked about. And it's really cool to see that. Absolutely. Where are some of the, the coolest spots that you've been in, uh, in Alaska? I'm sure you've gotten to travel at least a little bit for, for your job. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. Um, well, uh, probably the most beautiful and remote uh, areas is my dad and I do a, a fly fishing trip in Western Alaska. We float um, a couple different rivers down there. And so we'll go and get dropped off um, Good News River, the Uralic River, um, and float for 10 days. They're 60 to 90 mile rivers and just fly fish eight hours a day. You do not see one other soul, which is to me the best part of the whole trip. Right. And just the scenery is spectacular and it's so vast. Um, and it's just, it's so different than, you know, Western Alaska is just so different than here in Anchorage or up in Fairbanks mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. What do you fly fish for? Is that salmon season? You're going for the big trout? Big trout. You go for big rainbows. That's what you're going for. Like it's fun to catch salmon, but it's like, okay, get them off. We got, we got big rainbows. Yeah. To Don't break my rod. Yeah. Let's get some big rainbows. When it comes to um, salmon. But it, there's dollies. Yeah. For, for the salmon, it's a matter of kind of getting the fish for the freezer. It's, you just want to get your limit and kind oh. of go sometimes so you can get in this sort of in the combat fishing and everything. So with the trout, it's, they're going to be different. The coloration is going to be different. If you do have a variety, it could be a big, big dolly. It could be a nice rainbow. And down here we have some nice rainbows, but we don't have those yeah. larger interior rivers that you guys have. So you're, when my wife and I, we went to the Kenai river for our honeymoon or the Kenai peninsula. Love so we that. fished a couple of those rivers and yeah. people everywhere, but those, those, those rainbows are just so much bigger than we have because the coastal river is much smaller, less nutrients, they're nice and beautifully colored, but they're just not nearly as big. It's very different. But you guys have some great fishing down down where you are, southeast. Yeah. We can find some nice rivers yeah. that people can't drive to, which is to our advantage. So steelhead fishing is, yes. is a lot of fun. But, uh, I mean, you just you, – you can call yourself an Alaskan, but if, if you're an outdoors person in Alaska, at that 30-inch rainbow somewhere in the Bristol Bay area, like that's that's definitely on the list. It is. That's, that's, that's the goal. And they're just, you know, as soon as you have a rainbow on the line, cause they're just so, they just start fighting so hard and just the adrenaline rush of it is so much fun. Uh, so yeah, bring me down to, to Western Alaska and let me fish for rainbows all day long. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. When do you usually take that trip? We, um, do at the end of July. Okay. Uh, and so this is the fifth time we've done it. And I mean, we get the array of weather. There have been trips where it is pouring rain for 10 days straight. And by day four, you're like, get me out of here. <laughs> what What was I thinking? This last trip, it was like 80 degrees. So it was too hot, you know? And then we've had a couple of trips where it's the perfect weather is like 60 degrees, partly mm -hmm. cloudy, maybe a little bit of rain, and that's it. Mm -hmm. 
but awesome. um so you definitely get the array of weather but that's what you expect down there for sure um but end of july is good because at that time it's the end of july beginning of august all five species of salmon are in the river the rainbows are getting big dollies are there there's grayling so you get all these species of fish to catch which is fun nice you do much hunting yeah you know i never really grew up hunting i'd like to get into it more um of course we have the store down in kodiak and uh there's the blacktail there that would be a lot of fun to hunt but my dad used to do these huge hunting trips way up um, in the brooks range like 17 day hunt oh, so wow. that was not something you'd bring your kids along <laughs> with yeah. uh so we just didn't really grow up doing a lot of hunting, but that is something I've really been working to get into more because I would love to do do some hunting. You're a big hunter. Yeah, I, I didn't grow up hunting either. Like you can fish here, sure. and some people are kind of disappointed, especially from the lower 48 when they find out I didn't grow up hunting. But the fishing can just absolutely take over the summer and the fall. And then yeah. the way sports were lined up, it was cross country that started at the beginning of August. And then basketball used to start right after that. And so there was no like weekends in August or September where you could go deer hunting in my, we moved up from Colorado when I was five. So my parents were kind of used to pheasant hunting and, you know, whitetail sure. hunting over in the corn. Uh, so the clear cuts and everything like that was, and then of course we bought a boat. So dad wanted to use the boat in the ocean. So um, just the amount of fishing we did was, was a lot. <laughs> so um, sure. it was only yeah. after I moved back from California that uh, I really got into hunting and it's, Oh man, it's there, there's so much to do, and then some people just stay in Southeast and and you know hunt blacktail their entire lives, and they're really good mm -hmm. at it. Um, but I've been up there a couple of times, did some caribou hunting and whatnot, and it's yeah, there's just so much to do. It's it's overwhelming. Is there anything on your list, uh, Alaska specific, that you want to hunt that you haven't had to yet, or? Um, I'd probably, probably say moose. Well, I definitely say moose. Uh, I've I've gone on yeah. some some caribou hunts, did the Hall Road. And then my buddy, uh, mm -hmm. buddy and I went on a, on a caribou hunt with my wife and, um, he got a nice caribou. So I've, I've gotten some of the smaller ones and I've been on a hunt where a really big one, uh, was taken, but I haven't had that kind of iconic caribou hunt, sure. um, in which I was the shooter nor, uh, nor a moose hunt. So those are the, those are the two, but, and, and then dull sheep, of course, I mean, you have to uh, do that. So I got, sure. a, I got a lot on the list still. <laughs> you got a busy, busy few years yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. It should be fun, but. Uh, so come up on an hour here. So if we're going to be two or three weeks away from, uh, black Friday, so what would be your black Friday pitch for buying all the stuff from, uh, from big rays? Thank you for asking. Well, so what we do at, um, all five of our locations, and we've been doing this for a very long time is the first 100 customers at our Anchorage and Fairbanks stores and our first 200 in Kodiak get a mystery gift card. The doors open at 7 a.m. And the gift card is anywhere from $20 to $250. Uh, and so that's always a lot of fun because I'll check the security cameras at like 3 a.m. <laughs> and people will already be lining up for it. Um, so that's that's a big draw. And then the whole store is 20% off. Guns and ammo are 10% off. But then the really big draw is all kids winter wear boots accessories is 50 percent off mm. it kills my soul a little bit but <laughs> it's a great great deal for everyone who comes in so uh they're definitely i love thanksgiving but it's up at 
4 a.m. and getting ready for Black Friday the next day. Yeah. And it's a, it's a big day for us. So Awesome. What else do you have uh, coming up this um, holiday season? Personally or for, for, for Big Rays? Both. Personally, I guess it is Big Rays getting, <laughs> just yeah. working, getting everything going. Um, no, the fact that it's November 1st today is really throwing me for a loop because I do not know where the last two months have gone. Mm -hmm. I'd really like to have some snow up here. There's no snow uh, on the ground in Anchorage. But uh, no, it's it's a really busy time for us. Like I said, we have Black Friday and then our buying season is starting. Uh, we're already budgeting for, for next year and trying to look at the crystal ball and see where we think sales will end up mm. for next year, which I couldn't tell you <laughs> at all. Um, but yeah, that's about it. And then I always go back to Fairbanks for the holidays um, and get to spend time with my family. So nice. looking forward to that. And I can't believe it's going to be Christmas and what, two months. Yeah. Yeah. Already hearing it at the stores. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. We're not that I'd like to be that ahead of the game, but mm. We're not there yet. And no Mariah Carey yet. That's probably good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. Maybe give it a week. And give it a week. Right. And some Mariah. Yeah. yeah. So uh, where can people uh, find stuff, order, social media, all that stuff? What do you got? Yeah. So um, our website is bigraise.com. And then you're putting me on the spot, but I believe our Instagram is bigraise1947. And then Facebook is bigraise. And, uh, yep, we, our website's a good way to reach us. And then we have the two stores in Fairbanks, two in Anchorage and one down in Kodiak. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time and, uh, I'll be checking out that website. Thank you, Jeff. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, you too.